Welcome to Invasion of Privacy. I'm Kate Wolf, and I have with me over the phone is Vera Day Shalom there. Hi, Vera. Hi, Kate. You're my first phone podcast interview. Do you feel special? <laughs> I, I feel very special. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> For well, so many reasons. <laughs> I really, really, really wanted to have you on because, well, first of all, I met Vera this summer at the all school meeting, which is for a society of souls, the school I'm in, they have this gathering and we met there. And then recently you did this amazing talk at sister giant in Washington, DC. And you talked Mm -hmm. about Kali, um, who you and I are both very much in love with. And you discussed Mm -hmm. an article you wrote and just went into amazing detail. So passionately about what it means. Because tell me, what was your article called again that you wrote? The article was called Kali Takes America. I am with her. Um, And it went, to my great surprise, rather viral around the planet. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I expected five people to read it, including myself. Um, Maybe a (laughs) hundred, if I was lucky. And somehow, somehow, you know, the mother spread like wildfire. It really doesn't seem to have anything to do with me. Oh, this stop is, it. There is, this, no, I mean, truthfully, I believe deeply that there, there is mm. the dark feminine is an emergent quality of our time. And so, for me, for any other orifice, she will come. Like Beyonce. Did you see Beyonce bring on the dark mother? Yes, I come did. On. Yes. Come on. She's everywhere. Let's just be real. She is. She's everywhere. So explain, She's everywhere and she, Explain Dark Mother, by the way. Oh. So. Such a good question. I mean, I, I, can, I can start it. I can kind of start what I think, what my interpretation is of the Dark Mother. Shoot. Because that's the, Shoot. like you said, that's the energy that's emerging. And you wrote this article, Shoot. I should say this too, um, kind of in response to when Trump won the election is when right. you wrote this. And right. the Dark Mother, to me, right. represents this very feminine energy, not just not just the energy that's within women, it's an energy that is contained in both men and women and the planet and everything. And for me, Dark Mother means this very intense energy that was in the shadows. It was almost like hidden in many ways because people weren't exactly ready to look at it. And the energy that's arising, it's like almost like the veil kind of being shaken and, and lifting of like, you have to now look at these dark shadows and mm. heal them in order to move forward mm. in reality and in connection. So, yes. In, in other words, the quality of the dark mother is radical truth telling, is, is getting real. Getting out of fantasy land, getting out of our idealized notions of self, of God, of our beautiful culture, of staying positive and happy and shiny, and getting real. And what's real um, might not look might not look so uh, so bright. Yeah. And we have been spending a very long time getting rid of everything that's inconvenient. You know, our spirit, pop spiritual culture is based on, you know, what is it based on? Thoughts becoming things, 
culture, you know, improving ourselves. It's a culture of self-improvement, of getting infinitely better, of of feeling great about ourselves, right? Of building ourselves up while the mother is here to strip us down to the bone. There is this quality. There's this quality to what I experienced, the dark mother to be of, of, um, of total surrender to what is, mm. to, of stripping us down of our idealized self. Of, and as a culture, we have certainly, you know, when I wrote that article, there was this quality where I am, <laughs> I am certain that even Trump himself, even Trump himself was shocked that he won. Like there was this quality, it, it was very shocking. And suddenly all the illusions of America laid at our feet, right? There was this, this disbelief. How could this be? We were unwilling to see what was before our eyes. And there she was, stripping us of illusion. Our teacher, Kate and I, Kate and I share a magnificent teacher. His name is Jason Schulman. Yes. Um, uh, so Kate, Kate is going through the school of the moment, and he says something that I think is very essential for us to understand. There's this notion in the spiritual culture that when we awaken, we awaken into some kind of illuminated state where everything is perfect and blissful and, and serene and transcendent all the time. But really what we awaken to first and foremost is our delusion. Mm. Right, And that is a painful and radical process. It's a process of disillusionment. It's a process of disappointment. And those things are not so often included in our spiritual narratives, and yet those are the qualities of reality that spiritually mature us. And so for me, this emergence of the Dark Mother there is kind of like enough of bullshit, yeah. enough of spiritual materialism, enough of pop spirituality, of pop culture, of pop politics. We want the real, and the real is emergent. It's emerging through every crevice. We are tired of false glimmer. We're tired of superficial shine. We yearn for the depth. And as I say, the mother is here to quench. I mean, you put that beautifully. And there are a couple things I want to say. And, and one, and I think most people are experiencing this in their lives as she is present, but in different ways. I did a healing event mm-hmm. on Sunday, and I have people come up and share what they're going through. And you could really clearly see that even though everyone's story was different, it's what you're saying that people are getting, are, they're getting crisper with their reality, but it's often very painful. <coughs> and Exactly. Yeah. And you could just see these people like, you know, one woman was talking about how she's no longer happy in her marriage, but she hasn't been in a, in a while, you know, and that's just an example of, you know, we've been so scared to look at the truth because the truth often doesn't match our fantasy world of what we want it to be. Right. And what you've named, what you named is very important. We, right, we, we spend our lives more or less in the pursuit of happiness, and that's wonderful. That's our, that's our, right? It's our inheritance. It's 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 part of our path. However, we have been unwilling to face the pain, right? And without facing 
the pain. There is no coming to consciousness. So, and, you know, Jung used to say, we will do anything, no matter how crazy, no matter how, you know, uh, I don't remember what he, the specific words he used, but we will basically do anything to avoid facing our own souls, facing our own pain. And, and part of that is saying, you know, saying, okay, accept the pain so that we can, so that we can work with it so that we can be, so we can face it and be free. So part of what's happening right now, I believe, and part of what I feel uh, this this great archetype of the dark feminine is here to do is to rewire our narrative to, to, um, to get us out of um, the culture of self-improvement. Right? We are weary and tired, as Jason says. We, we can only begin to awaken when we are weary and tired. As long as we are in this perpetual sort of rat race, this perpetual hamster, hamster wheel of self-improvement, it never ends because we're always, always trying to fix something, to heal something, to resolve something. Yeah. And as long as we're in this hermeneutic cycle of trying to find meaning, of trying to solve the problem, we can never rest. And we can never begin the, the really the awakening process. Although that that time of healing and that time of, of digging through our you know um our psyche of trying of, of really the healing process is very, very important, but it is just a beginning. And as we mature spiritually, as we grow, we begin to let go of the culture of self-improvement. We begin to tolerate more of ourselves, more, more of the entire spectrum of reality. We begin to feel so much more. Right? So maybe most of us get into the spiritual life to improve ourselves. To get better, right? Yeah. To get more empowered. Very, very often, that's really the catch, the, the, the spiritual catchphrase. Let's get more empowered, right? And there's a million and one coaches that will try to get you more empowered in your life and in your work and in your business. Try to gain things, right? We want to get, you know, what, what, what is it that we all want? Maybe healthy, wealthy, and and um, powerful, yeah. right? But, but really, that process of gaining things maybe hooks us into into embarking on the spiritual path. But as we mature, as we move deeper into the realm of of the human condition, we begin to realize that really it's not so much about gaining things. Rather than becoming more powerful, we become more vulnerable. Rather than becoming more certain, we, you know, learn to dance with uncertainty. We learn to tolerate more and more of the inconvenient feelings that before we would cut off and cut away. But that too is shakti. Fear, that's shakti. Sort of sadness, that's shakti. Um, all of our, all of our aliveness, whether we judge it as good or bad, that's our life force. And if we tuck it away, if we cut it off, if we split from it, if we say, I refuse to feel my fear, let me cover it up with false confidence, right? We will, we create blocks, we create distortions, and we basically 
uh, stop the current of aliveness and authenticity that we so deeply yearn for. You know, I deeply believe we don't give a shit about being positive. We don't give a shit about more stuff. What we all deeply yearn for is the real. And um, when we see it, when we taste it, mm. we can't help but but go for it, right? It we want nourishes to be alive. Us. Yeah. We want to be alive. We want to have all of ourselves. We want to be whole human beings. And what that means is accepting our pain, accepting all the things that we got into the spiritual life, paradoxically trying to escape. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's like, you know, I call it bringing back the exile, bringing back our orphan. The mother has no orphan. So what do we sit with? We sit with what within my being have I sent into exile? Have I, have, has become an orphan to my, or a refugee of my awareness? And how do I bring it back? How do I develop the kind of tender heartedness that, that can hold it all unconditionally with compassion? Because Really, if we want to create a more compassionate society, that has to become that has to begin within. Yeah, that starts with us, right? It, it starts with um, becoming, becoming um, sort of the the mother to our own orphans, so that we can then really become sanctuaries for each other as well. But we can't do that until we. We can become a sanctuary for ourselves. So it's deep uh, spiritual, it requires deep spiritual work. It requires maturation. It requires a lot of disenchantment and a lot of disillusionment. But I, I know that everything, so I, I've kind of been dancing with, with Kali. I've been dancing with, with the Dark Mother for a number of years. And what that looks like in my life is a is is a total fucking destruction, total total crisis, total uh, sort of turning turning over my entire life, stripping me down, ripping out of my cold dead hands everything <laughs> that I most loathe to give, and um, and yet what remains. What remains is what I have always yearned for. More of me, more authentic, more integrity, more trust. And this, this, this quality of, um, this quality of being shaken up, right? Like we're, for example, collectively we are being shaken up. And then I go first, like, it's like every few hours something is happening that's like shaking yes. our ground now, right? Like how many executive orders and what's the next, you know, like who, who's, who's the next, the next target and, and, and how to survive these times. You know, this, this is raising and this is coming to awareness collectively, which is really powerful and really important. But the truth is there is no ground. We are, if we're honest, if we're able to tolerate if we're able to tolerate reality as it is, we're always being shaken, right? When we have some ground, so to speak, it's because it's because we have 
projected all kinds of <laughs> ideas of stability onto it. It's not real. I mean, it's the, like an the, illusion of stability. Right. Oh, well, that's true, right? Like the, the, the uncertainty that we feel so radically now because it's so pervasive, we literally cannot escape it. That's always there. That's part of the groundless nature of reality. And so, um, you know, Paul Tillich, Paul Tillich, who's a really great uh, Christian theologian, he says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. So, uh, so isn't that interesting, right? We always, that. There's this. So the opposite of faith is certainty. How can we surrender our lives to God? Well, part of that is tolerating our uncertainty. And growing our tolerance for all kinds of discomfort. And as we grow that tolerance, we become more alive. Our bodies become more alive. We shake through the fear that before we were unwilling to feel yeah. that we would cover up. We, you know, um, we, we allow the currents of anger that maybe before we were, we were pretending were never even there. So bit by bit, we reclaim our energy, our consciousness. It's messy. It's, it's uh, you know, chaotic. It's uncertain. And it's beautiful. It's what we have come here to do. We have come here to come alive. Yeah. And the price of that is feeling everything. Which is why right. a lot of people avoid it, right? Is because those exactly. uncomfortable feelings are so intense for a lot of people. And I have encountered a lot of people in the spiritual community, and you and I have talked about this, where they are just approaching spirituality from a place where they're still being saved by false positivity. Right. Right. They call them in our school the cardboard saints, right? And the truth is... The, exactly. The, the cardboard saints. Yes. I love that so much. Jason is so brilliant. He really is. In, in giving, in giving these, this beautiful language to uh, sort of depth spirituality. I love that. Because yeah, the, we don't yeah. want to be cardboard saints. No, we because don't. the beauty of being a human is truly being alive and feeling it all. And not just the quote unquote positive emotions. And I've been calling on the wild Mustang recently. Like I, I kind of channel that energy of a Mustang running free on a beach. And for mm. me, spirituality is like re-embracing yourself as the full whole animals we are and just letting yourself be steeped in the experience of humanity. And mm. although it is terrifying reality is terrifying because death death is built in right change oh exactly exactly so so listen to this what you're saying is exactly the dark mother territory reality is terrifying and what does kali look like what do the dark mothers look like so if we go <laughs> to kali to the kali archetype she is fucking terrifying yes. and part of that is she's meant to evoke terror She's meant to get you in contact with that prime, with that fear of death that we're always avoiding, right? So, but are we meant to cut it off? No. She's meant to trigger it. As truth approaches, she slays. She's yes. fucking slays, and she's terrifying. And that meeting, that the 
full spectrum of aliveness, right? Includes life and death. Includes death in a way in which we are, we will do anything to turn away from it. And yet, really only in coming into deep contact with death, which is constantly arising, constantly present. Right? We might yeah. think of death as this one moment in the end of our lives, but really, death is always present. That, that's part of, part of our maturation process. Rilke says, has a, has a great quote. He says, life is always saying yes and no. <laughs> but death, but death is really our best because death is the true yay-sayer. She stands on the edge of the abyss and says only yes. Wow. Right? Isn't that amazing? Right? And so it's like to be able to 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 become intimate with this quality of of destruction, this quality of 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 death that makes us so terrified and so unsettled and yet which makes us, it's really the only doorway to which we can become fully alive. It's, it's, a, it's a paradoxical thing, yeah. and it's so important that we become conversant with that. And it's so important, important that we become conversant with that collectively, too, because guess what, people? We're living in the sixth extinction, extinction of species. This is not a false flag operation, okay? <laughs> the the, the crisis, our planet is in crisis. Our time is pregnant with with the emergence of the uncomfortable emergence of the uncomfortable with of, with death, even though we might not see it so readily yet. If you talk to scientists, they say it is inevitable and most certainly within our lifetime. Wow! So part of me feels like the emergence of the dark mother is also stretching our being to ripen us, right? To prepare us to face life on her own terms. Yeah. Because our times, our times are, are not for the faint of heart. I mean, what a beautiful way to put it, you know, but, but that's the truth is that the planet right now is in danger. I know a lot of people don't want to face that clearly. Um, but, we like, 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 as if, <laughs> if, if, if you deny, deny climate, climate change, it's suddenly going to go away, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what, like, think about the wife <laughs> whose husband is cheating her on, on her, and she goes into denial and pretends it's not right. happening, you know? And I think right. people are so terrified that they'd rather just go into complete denial. But we're being shaken up by the Dark Mother, by Kali, to wake up as a way to actually be alive and hopefully save the planet if we can, you know, and I think we can, I don't think it's too late, but we have to start really waking up and healing. So, 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 you know, there's so much, so much crisis and it's on so many levels, but it's so easy to be overwhelmed. I mean, I'm not overwhelmed most of the time, but there is so much pain in the pain body of our planet. But the most natural thing to do is to cut off. To say, you know what, this is too much for me. Fuck this shit. You know, yeah. I'm just gonna go watch some more TV or, or do whatever it is. You know, like try to fill my void with my addiction of choice. Yes. Um, 
Right. So, so that, and that's something that, that I'm not, I don't mean to say it. And I almost feel like there's a cruelty in the way that I just brought it, but there's a way in which it's like there is, when, when you look at what's happening, um, when you look at what's happening in our country, right? Like we, we are without exaggeration possibly on the brink of fascism, right? When we look at, at the amount of suffering that is on the planet, that is pervasive. I mean, and I don't even want to start listing things off, but, you know, uh, uh, sex trafficking. Yeah. You know, I mean, all kinds of things. It, it, war. I mean, what's happening in Syria, what's happening all over the planet is so difficult to digest. It is so overwhelming to any, especially to, sensitive, to those of us who are sensitive beings. Yeah. Right? That, it's, that part of what can happen... You know, and it doesn't even have to be so tremendous. It can be homelessness or, you know, once, once as more and more sort of, um, social security benefits and, and, um, benefits in general will be taken away from people. People will be dying from lack of medical care, from lack of, of, of social support. Um, so, you know, homelessness, whatever. So what, what we tend to do is then shut down. Because literally we can't, we get overwhelmed. We can't do anything with that. And so that's such a, such a delicate, that's such a delicate thing. How do we, um, how do we respond from our, from within our limited scope of being ordinary human beings who feel pain, who feel overwhelmed, who, who d- might not know what to do, right? How, from what place within us do we respond to, to the, the world in, in pain, to the world in crisis. How do we? How do we um, rise up to to the call of our time? But Leonard Cohen, in his last one of his last interviews, he said something really incredible. He said, "We we all have this incredible willingness to serve, even though we might not know." who or what it is that we're willing to serve. Mm. But when the emergency becomes articulate, our willingness to serve naturally rises in our heart. And I love that because here we are, and the emergency has become articulate. And listening, listening, listening so intimately to to sort of the, the, the beckoning, of the world's soul is so important now, the beckoning of our soul. What is it that we have come for? How can we, how can we, you know, how can our willingness to serve be, de- to serve be deployed? Um, it's such a, I, I think is such an important question. That's the question I sit with every day. Yeah. And I think, I think what's I interesting, think as you were saying, like, you know, with all the trauma, people go numb or disconnect to survive it. And that's where a lot of this kind of starts is as children, and we have parents who are in pain, and they unconsciously act out their pain onto us. And then we learn how to disconnect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are truly trying to heal lineage, historical wounds that go so deep. And in many ways, Mm -hmm. we're brave, all of us that are alive right now on this planet, because we're in a time where we're trying to heal wounds that don't start and end with us. These go way, way, way back. We are holding collective pain. And to be fully alive, you have to go back, as Jeff um, says, you know, Jeff 
um, the one, one of the teachers in our, well, you might be joining the class, but he says you have to revisit the scene of the crime. And I think that's also what people are avoiding is you have to go back to the places that made you want to build those walls. You have to re-experience them. You have to feel them on a deep cellular level. And what does that mean? Once again, it means feeling the pain which, from which we have split off, first and foremost, so that we can feel more of other things that are wonderful behind the pain. Because whatever, whatever we split off from, we also split off from our joy and our capacity to feel all of ourselves, right? If we're not feeling the pain, we're also not feeling the, the, uh, the bliss. They are part of the yeah. same, of the same spectrum, part of the same field. Um, I also want to say that, that you're so right. Well, we are in extraordinary times, partially because we have these tools that people before us have never had. So people who were into spiritual life, for example, we didn't have the tools of psychology. We weren't able to acknowledge these, you know, the, our history or what we call in our, in the work that we do, the poison ground, right? We didn't, we didn't have the tools to grow psychologically. So, so, and I think what still happens very often in spiritual communities and certainly happened historically tremendously was that we would have people who were able to be awaked, who, who were somewhat awake or, or even very deeply awake, who were bypassing entire spectrums of their humanity. So what that looked like is an awakened master who likes to have a lot of women on the side, you know, like <laughs> basically... Well, well, it's true, and it's very, very important. Or not being able to tell the difference between magical, mythical thinking and sort of the more visionary, ecstatic experiences that, that we might have on the other side of the of the um, uh, rational of the rational level of consciousness. So, like, basically equating non rational states of being, non linear states of being, as awakened. Yes. When, 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 you know, not everything that shines certainly is gold. So it's, it is truly an incredible time. We have so many tools available to us. We have so many, so many great, um, great teachers, integrated teachers available to us in our time that we never really had before. And more, most significantly, we don't have, we don't have to be confined, right? Like, Traditionally, people would be born into a tradition, and then that would be, if you were lucky, the range of spirituality allowed for you or, you know, available to you. And today, we're able to draw from a multiplicity of lineages, multiplicity of of traditions that can, you know, kind of call our souls and uh, and become our path to healing and awakening, and certainly being part of of our our lineage is such a privilege and such a... I mean, I love everything you're saying. And I think, I think we're in an interesting moment of really trying to transition from survival energy to thriving energy. And I think a lot of people aren't exactly sure what that means, right? Because to some people, they might think thriving is having like five SUVs and a ton of hot women or hot men. And, you know, that's not what thriving really is. It's about connectedness, compassion to yourself, reconnecting to these exiled parts. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that is where we're going is like, you know, we've had to survive for so long, way before even our lifetimes, right? We've been in survival mode. And in our evolution, mm-hmm. it's now getting to a place where we don't have to have the same 
defenses, the same cutoffs, the same splits, we can get well, past I, them. I don't know if that's true, Kate. I mean, that's, I, I can say yes from a certain perspective, but that is such a fucking privileged answer. Mm. I mean, how many people on this planet is that really true for? Serious question. Yeah. I mean, you and I, I guess happen I mean, to be part of the most privileged people on the planet. And yes, maybe maybe us in our culture, but I don't know that that's true. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of beings on this planet operate from in survival mode, and I don't know that survival mode is 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 necessarily connected to the to the actual condition of having to survive. Right? There's something else, a sort of that that cooks us. Where, where what is necessary in some ways is dying, right? Dying to certain ideas, dying to, to certain notions of nourishment. Well, of course, we need to continue being nourished, but just to, just, just to, 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 to say, and I, it's funny, when you say thriving, <laughs> no, first of all, you know, what do I know? But, but when you say thriving, I have such a visceral reaction to the term. Really, I guess what I mean, I though, like, I, I, like I, maybe you misinterpreted what I was saying. What I mean is we are at a point now where we can start all waking up and taking care of each other. I'm not saying yeah, like, yeah, exactly, I'm, not, exactly. I'm not saying like, like, oh, yes. I'm, I'm taking a microphone to a very like low income community right, being like, right, time right. to thrive. It's more of, hey, <laughs> we've gotten to a point in our evolution where we need to start caring for each other and the planet and the animals. Mm, That's what I'm yeah. saying. So when I say yeah, from survive to totally. thrive, it's more like Trump totally. versus Bernie ideology where it's like we've done for ages and, you know, ages and ages, we've done the whole survival of the fittest conquer kind of thing. And now oh. it's like, let's, let's get to a point where we actually care about each other as a community, as a whole. Right. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying it from a yes, point yes, of yes. privilege. I'm totally following you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not I'm like, totally hey, following. everyone who's like getting food stamps, like time to thrive. It's not like from that ignorant place. It's from a place of like, yeah. those of us who've been living in a way where we've had to survive. I think a new energy is coming in where we can start to open up and care for each other in more of a communal mm-hmm. sense. Like I am you, you and, are and getting, me. And getting more real and authentic and asking ourselves, you know, what is it that, why are we really here? What, how, what is it that, what is it that beckons us deeply, right? Like how am I here to be deployed? What is really sort of making me feel alive? What if there's, there's this quote, something that people, uh, we don't need to do, Something about what the world needs now are people who have come alive. Yes. Um, yes. Right. And so, so it's like coming alive and in being stripped very often of our privileges and protections that makes us come alive, that makes us sort of reconnect to our integrity um, more intimately. And, and for the vision that deep, deep in our souls to, to arise again. There's something about that that seems yeah. that there seems to be a connection. Well, part of the privilege... And, 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 Part of the privilege that that's getting stripped is, I think, the recognize recognizing of any any person could have easily been you. I think we are all just facets of God, right? So, kind of stripping mm-hmm. ourselves away from this, like you are so different than me, mentality as well, right. and realizing that right. when one person is hurting, 
we are all hurting and really waking right. up to um, that connection, I think is yeah. part of this next evolutionary yeah. step of like, we are a collective. So, and, yeah. Right, right, right. And, 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 and all of this, and this crisis is making us awake to that in ways that maybe we, we weren't able to awaken collectively to it before. Not interesting. Yeah, and like when there's one, when there's one sore spot, right? Like if there's a community that's really not able to thrive at all, that that's us. You know what I mean? Like there's this mentality of like, oh well, fuck them. It's not me. I'm doing well. It's like that mentality is going to die off as we get thrust more and more into reality. Because the reality is, is we are as strong as our quote unquote weakest link. And I'm not trying to say that that, of course, you know. Of you know, course. people without money are weak, yeah. but right. it's saying like we right. need to the, take the, care of each other. Exactly. The, the measure of society is how it treats its most vulnerable yes. citizens. You know, that's absolutely true. You know, there's uh, so many very interesting studies out there. I don't know if you've heard about them, but they, they give me pause. Um, there are studies out there on privilege, <laughs> believe it or not. Mm. So it turns out that most people who, who, um, kind of commit uh, traffic violations of a certain kind, uh, drive luxury vehicles. <laughs> so basically it appears, and this, there's, there's, I wish I remembered the names of the studies and the people who are doing them, but the, the people who are doing them are in California, Berkeley, I think. And, and uh, certainly their research is not welcome everywhere, but they, they have found out that basically people, people of a particular level of privilege begin to, 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 Act and feel entitled, and this this is reproducible over and over again. This isn't like oh, some people who are of, of, of privilege feel entitled. There seems to be a very a very uh, direct connection between privilege and entitlement. Yeah. And for example, they took they took um, they take a group of um, of people into a waiting room, or a person into a waiting room, and they tell this person. But there's only in the, there's candy in the middle of the room, and they say, you know, there's only enough candy in the, in this bowl for the group of orphans who are coming in here after you. Yeah. Um. And it seems that over a, people who make over a certain over a certain um, salary universally seem to take the candy. Isn't wow. that interesting? And people who make under a certain number don't. So that there's almost this kind of relationship between, and they do this really crazy thing too, where they where they rig a monopoly game. It's so crazy. You don't even need to be, uh, you know, really privileged. You can be full privileged, like in a monopoly sense, and you yeah. all begin to act out the the entitlement even within that co- that context, which is totally mind boggling, right? Yeah. Um, where they 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 rig a monopoly game and they begin to observe the body language of the person who's winning. Right? So the person is winning because the game is rigged for them to win. The person is winning and they begin to take more, I don't know, peanuts from the peanut bowl. And they begin to have postures and dominating. It's so interesting, right? And what is most astonishing, and they begin to put down the other players who seem to be losing. There's this like attitude. It's like they smell like, I've perceived weakness it. almost. Like, and they're like, they become like a shark almost, <laughs> like animalistically. Right. And it's amazing that this can happen within the, within a, a, the, the range of, of a Monopoly game. But basically afterwards, they're told that the game was rigged. You didn't really win. Mm. What is really interesting is that then they ask for questions, or I don't know, but the person who won by in a rigged game still feels entitled to that want, to that, to that um, victory. Uh, it's just 
just very, very, very interesting. And I think it's such an interesting social commentary for our time. Well, it is, right? Because we um, are born into... I'm not saying what you're born into has to um, structure your whole life, right? Because we have choices and free will we're allowed to make. But I love how some people who are born into a more privilege act like they earned that. Where you're like, no, like right. you were born right. that color. You were born with right. that family, you know, and yet right. they act like they earned it. And then they look down on people who don't make as much money or are a different skin color exactly. than them. And it's, and that's like kind of the next thing, right? Is just really seeing you and other people. And that's why, you know, I really love people who also speak out for animals because it's like to start speaking up for people who are more voiceless and don't have a say and knowing, going beyond yourself to caring, I think right. is just so totally. important right now because that illusion of safety and whether it's in your entitlement because of money or whatever is giving you the illusion of you being better than or that you've surpassed death, right? That's going to be coming crashing <laughs> down. And and I think you said this in your right. talk that Kali is here, that energy to strip people of privilege, of this false privilege. illusionhood of privilege. <clears throat> Well, I mean, you know, to, to reframe that in a bit of a different way, that's why we do spiritual work. That's what spiritual work does to us. Spiritual work basically strips us of our, of our, of our entitlement, right? It, in a way, it makes us, it makes us ordinary beings related to all other beings. The, the, uh, this is great, right? When, 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 the, I talked about this in the, in the talk, right? The, the, the notion of the vows of the Bodhisattva, right? Like, I refuse to go to merge into Nirvana until all beings are, are liberated, right? It's seen as this, like, great, um, as this great vow, right, to make. But really, it, it's a function of awakening that makes us so awake to our relatedness, our interconnection with all living things. It's like we're not free until we're all free. We are um, we are bound together, right? We awaken as one. We awaken together. And as long as there is suffering, the natural impulse of compassion in an awakened heart will respond to that suffering. And I know that in our work, Jason speaks about that in, in, in the sense in which it's like what beings who are awakened beings never stop their relationship to suffering because that's what binds them somehow, right? To, yeah. to, um, to God, in a sense. To be, able, to, be, to, well, to be able to respond to the suffering of others. And so, um, I lost my, my train of thought. I lost my train of thought. Just that, that, that when we think of the spiritual process, when we think of the spiritual journey, there is this, this uh, false hope, like, oh, I'll awaken enough and I will stop suffering. In my experience and from what I, I have come to understand, that is not, that is not true. We don't stop suffering, we learn to suffer better, right? We, we learn not to identify maybe exclusively with suffering, but that aspect of our being, which, which um, continues, which continues to be 
this ordinary, imperfect, vulnerable human being subject to all the things that life is made of, which includes disease and death and suffering. We never get out of that as long as we're incarnated beings. And that humbles us. And that is our reality check. And that, you know, returning over and over to that place. It's like when we go tripping on our spiritual on our spiritual highs, yeah. you know, or our spiritual delusions, we always come back down to earth, thankfully, because because of, of, of being bound to the human condition. And I think all of this all of these like idealized notions of spirituality, like, oh, all these awakened masters who have come out who have become sort of transhuman, that doesn't interest me so much. That doesn't interest me so much. Um, the spiritual you know, I, journey. I, 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 I sorry, I don't mean to. I don't mean to bring like Christianity into it, but there, it's so eloquent in a way in which, like, Christ is born in a in a in a, um, in a stable and dies on the cross, right? Yeah. So here we have this, like, in that particular lineage, the ultimate spiritually awakened being, still subject completely subject to the suffering of of um, of the human condition. Well, it's also really, really interesting. And this is a really great point. Two things. One is that there's a tradition that says that once after Christ is crucified and be- before he's resurrected, he descends into hell and opens the doors of hell like, li- to liberate the souls um, that are suffering in, in the darkness. That's one. So that's a tradition that's really, really interesting. So before resurrection, right, then there is this time of descent that is a necessary time of descent. And also something very interesting is that after resurrection, Christ appears in his resurrected form to Thomas. And so this is where the, 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 the name Doubting Thomas comes from, right? So he appears in his resurrected form to Thomas, and Thomas says, Master, how do I know that it's really you? And Christ's answer is quite extraordinary. He says, he says Thomas, put your fingers into my wound, into my wounds, and you shall know him, and you shall know me. Right? So two things. One is, what the fuck? That's so crazy put your fingers into my wounds. Why? What the hell? Right? Like, okay. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. Interesting. Right? Like, so that's one of the sort of, if you want to, so here's Thomas asking the great question. How do I, how do we know faith? How do I acquire faith? How do I know it's really you? How do I know God? And Christ's answer is put your fingers into my wounds. So that's something to sit with. But the second question is why on earth would a perfectly, would a divine being in, in, you know, who has raised people from the dead, who has healed all kinds of sickness, who has made miracles, you know, you know, up and down. Why would an, such an awakened being and why would God uh, in human form be, be resurrected with the wounds of crucifixion and not in a perfect human form? Right, and and for me, that's such a deep teaching. That's such a deep teaching of having to touch the suffering, the suffering of incarnation, of never becoming disconnected from from um, that suffering isn't an abomination. That that is something that is part of our awakening process, Mm. and. 
I just, I just really, really love that yeah. that story. Yeah, and, and that we're never going to be we're never going to be saved perfect. from that suffering, and we're never going to be like right. you said, perfect. And changing exactly. your relationship to the suffering is really what eases the suffering when you think suffering's not supposed to be there or that you're fucked up because you're suffering or you're doing something wrong and then you start comparing to other people that's when it gets mm. even heavier in your heart mm. and exactly yeah i think exactly. it's about that's so important that. for people to understand that's such an important point kate like right like the primary suffering is a natural part of life that suffering you know we can't save ourselves from 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 that kind of suffering. But the secondary suffering that we impose yes. on the natural suffering that we must do by by refusing to do it, right? Like the judgment that we place on our natural suffering is the secondary suffering, which is not necessary. Yes. And um, I've learned in this such school a, such a good point. that that longing, that suffering that's tied with longing, you know, when I'm in that really deep place of longing and feeling that pain, mm-hmm. I remind myself that that is God too speaking to me and that I'm not alone in right. it. And it just right. makes it a little and better to feel like that presence, whatever people want to call God, I say God, that might trigger some things in people, the universe, source, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is, just reminding you you're not actually Alone, so I think a lot of us feel so alone in this human experience. Yes, we do, and we're not. Yes, we do. We're actually all well, connected. First in of it. all, exactly. First of all, we're not, and secondly, we are. Yeah. Like, there is this existential. There is this existential aloneness that, that is part of the human condition as well that we have to be to, to become discursive with and mm. grow into. It's very important, and it is, in my opinion, also part of the spiritual maturation. Um, and yes, that we're never disconnected, that we are never alone in, in another sense as well. Um, you're right. It's both. You're, you're absolutely right, because you still and, have and, and to hold part, space part for un- the part, part that's of our alone. unwillingness. Exactly. And part of our unwillingness to face that, right? Say it's too painful. I don't want to be alone, right? Like that, that grasping that's constantly there, right? How do I fill this void? How do I feel this void? Well, feel this void. Yeah. Feel this void. That's so, so important. Yeah, feeling, letting yourself feel the void. Yeah. What you said, what were you saying right before? I thought that was really, really important. You were saying... When you're in that really deep place of suffering that you enter it. So you brought... Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just reminds Mm -hmm. me in those times when I enter it, like this is God, that pain, that pulsing thing. Yeah. I'm like, God is in this. Oh my God. I mean, that's what every mystic was crying out for. I mean, it's not like, oh, they were sitting there and like, you know, they were, they, they were on fire with yearning, with longing. And, and I'm totally with you, baby. I, that's when I experienced, that's when I experienced God, God sort of the, the deepest in, in the pain and the yearning of my heart. When I allow it to be there, when yeah. I, when I stop, stop trying to save myself from that and when I stop trying to hide it from everyone in my life, right? Like there's this place of self-disclosure that's so important, you know, I think today. I mean, for me, I, I try to, I try to bring that in, but in general, like we are, we all are, live in these distorted worlds partially because 
we're all so afraid of self-disclosure. No one is telling us, well, yes, I am suffering too. You're not alone in your suffering. Yes, this yearning and this pain. Yes, that is God. That is the great mystical calling. You know, what does Rumi say? say don't look for, for water. Look for thirst. And like, how do we know God? We, we, we know it through the yearning, yeah. through the yearning, right? And, and especially those of us who have the, the, the mystical tendency, of course. And it's excruciating. It's fucking excruciating. Yeah. That's all I know of God. Let's, let's just put it all down. That's <laughs> all God, you know, like heartbreak, loneliness, longing. That's really my, my, my spiritual universe. Yeah, those and for are the most times. of my life, yeah. <laughs> right? Like most of my life, I've done everything I could to to save myself from that. Like in my prayers for so many years, it's like God, make it stop, make it stop. You know, now now it has really shifted for me. Now I'm like, you know, never stop dislocating, never stop breaking me open. You know, I I want to lose all hope of being saved. I want to lose all hope of being saved. You know, you know, it's so pervasive also in the archetypal, in, in, in the sort of spiritual narrative, like, right? Like, there's a story of, of Jacob wrestling with the angels, right? So he's awakened in the middle of the, of the night and, and someone is in, in his tent and he begins to wrestle with this, with this presence. And it turns out to be an angel and, he he won't let the the angel go. Um, but really, two two things are interesting about this. One is that that's where he gains his name Israel. Right, his divine name is given to Jacob um, because he wrestles with the angel. And so the wrestling that we must do as a as human beings mm-hmm. is very very important. Right, the spiritual path is not for the faint of heart. There is this constant wrestling that the spiritual life calls us to. And that's okay. Yeah. That's more than okay. That's that's our growth. That's how we grow. That's how we awaken. That's number one. Number two, Jacob is permanent Jacob's hip is permanently dislocated by this wrestling. Oh, so like such deep such deep lessons, right? Like that when that our our wound is the gift. It's our the way wound in. is the gift. Yeah. Exactly, that it's the way in that we that that, that there's a way in which even ma- the naming that happens on the spiritual path is our our door, is our initiation into into our our true name, into our true faith. Yes, I, we actually and have that, to we actually have to wrap this up soon. By the way, I totally want to let you finish, but okay, I just want to give you a heads up. <laughs> no, I'm done. Um, but what a beautiful, um, what a beautiful thing to kind of end on, right? Is just once again changing your relationship, like you said, that dislocated hip. Did you say hip? That's what it was. Um, right, it's a dislocated hip. It's a dislocated hip, and so now yeah. we're all collectively being dislocated. It's an yeah. important time. It's a time rich, rich with 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 possibility, and it's medicine. I like the, uh, my favorite quote is from from Emerson, and he says, "Only to the degree that we're unsettled is there any hope for us." Beautiful. And so, and so, may we may we take this, <laughs> use this time, use this time, and and remember that these dislocations and this the the uh, the 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 shatterings and the shaking up that happens and that's happening collectively right now is important. It is important time of uh, transfiguration. Yes, amen. And, uh, yeah. 
where can people find you if you want to be found? Where could people follow you? Do I want to be found? Yeah. That's such a good question. <laughs> if you have like Twitter so, or yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, you can, you can, I mean, you can find me on, on Twitter and, and Facebook and please follow me, Lira de Chateaumere, uh on Facebook. But really, you can find me at healingawakening.com. That's my website. And if you want to follow my work, I, I have a, a mailing list you can sign up for. I'm in the process of, of beginning to write my first book about the dark feminine, so there will be more information out there. And um, thank you so much for having me, my darling. Of thank course. you. I feel so, so honored. And, um, and may, may the mother carry us through. Yes, she will. And for people who want to follow me, I'm at the Kate Wolf on Twitter and Instagram. And I don't know if you know this, Vera, but I just started a uh, conscious dance party. It's going to be mostly hip hop music, pop. It's going to yes. be. Yes, I know. I'm so excited. It's oh April God, 5th. That's so great. I wish you could come. It's April 5th, 7 to 10 oh my p.m. God, I, wish, I wish I could come. I mean, who knows? Oh Maybe we I... can make it happen and just get down. Um, oh I still remember your oh moves at the all school meeting. So, so okay. Oh my so, God, stop it. Anyone who wants to come, go to um, breakfreedance.eventbrite.com. Tickets are on sale there. And then um, March 15th is my Going Deep Healing event. Eventbrite is where you can get tickets for that as well. Um, I have a show, Dragon Sorcery, that's going to be April 19th. And promo code for that is DRAGON. And if you guys want a tarot card reading, it's kwolf27 at gmail.com. And thank you so much. Woman, you're on fire. (laughs) I love you. On fire. Listen to that. You're the best. And uh, thank you, Vera, for coming on and everyone for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.